Hey you guys, it's Marissa here and obviously I'm with Hanley for another episode of Just So We're Clear where we're talking about something very important today. We are talking about planet Earth. You guys have heard of it. It's a pretty nice place. We all hang out here. Yeah, you know, slightly warm, warmer than we'd like. But that's what brings us to the topic of this week's episode, because in celebration of Earth Week, Earth Day, Earth Month, what should really be Earth Year at this point, every day is Earth Day, um, we're speaking to Stephanie Dixon of Green is the New Black. And do you want to go into a little bit about who Steph is? Uh, it's so hard to put Steph into words because she is one of the most impressive young ladies that we both know, really. Um, uh, I've known her for years, Marissa too. And just seeing her growth and her determination is inspiring. So Steph is the founder of Green is the New Black. Green is the New Black is Asia's first conscious festival. They would host them in Singapore. I believe they hosted them in Hong Kong. And she now has plans to basically take it over to Europe and, and promote and push the whole conscious lifestyle. Um, Green is the New Black is also a website. And on this platform, they curate experiences. They share stories. They bring together uh, sustainable brands. And all of this work leads up into her bigger mission, which is to make conscious living mainstream, accessible, and sexy. Yeah, so Steph is, I mean, you're about to hear it when we interview her, but she's really one of those impressive individuals where she's found her mission in life and she's stuck to her guns and she's just pushing forward. Like, it doesn't matter how many personal or emotional challenges she comes across because, you know, we all, everyone gets impacted by those, but she kind of picks herself back up and she pushes forward. And, you know, Green is New Black started six years ago. It's gone international. It's definitely gone fully global. I feel like it's kind of the big name when it comes to promoting conscious living. And as you guys are about to tune into this episode, you're going to hear all about you know, like what's on her mind, what she thinks about when she's thinking about how to motivate us to actually take action and how she finds motivation every day, especially when she's you know dealing with a world where a lot of us tend to stick our head in the hole with a lot of these problems and pretend that it's not us that's up to changing it. Yeah. And I think what's really great about this recording and this episode is, you know, and I'm sure you guys feel it too certain days when the conversation of climate of the world of just anything green comes up you, you feel guilty and the term that I learned from this chat is eco-anxiety and the good thing about this chat is that it does not induce eco-anxiety you know it actually <laughs> does the opposite it I Marissa and I we left it feeling so empowered yeah the whole point of talking to Steph is really remembering our power as the individual to make true change to our earth so this is an important conversation to keep having. And Steph not only is impressive from what she's built, you know, she's also been recognized by multiple um, establishments. She is a two-time TEDx speaker, which is like, it's already impressive to be like, oh, I spoke at TEDx once, but girl is a two-time <laughs> TEDx speaker. Um, she seriously is a person of influence. We're so honored to have her on. She's also going to be sharing with us her latest project with it, which is also a podcast, Live Wide Awake. But I guess it's enough of us just like hyping this conversation up and it's time for you guys to tune in. So why don't we do just that? So here's Steph. 
right. Well, first and foremost, Steph, I know we said it earlier, but I don't think you can ever have too much gratitude, especially to a guest. Thank you so much for taking time to come on and be on our cute little podcast. Just so we're clear, how are you doing today? Well, firstly, thank you guys so much for having me. I have so much respect for both of you, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. And today I am doing good. I'm excited that it's almost halfway through the week and the weekend doesn't feel that far away. (laughs) And also your weekend is a very different weekend because you're in Phuket right now. Can we please talk about that? Like, how is it? Yeah, well, my husband and I decided we wanted to do a nomadic life. And this is our first stop. So we were actually supposed to be in Bangkok. But you know, life has its ways at the moment in the world that we're living in. And there's a cluster there, his office got closed. So we decided very spontaneously to come to Phuket. And here we are. And it is beautiful. I am unbelievably grateful to be here and to be looking at this stunning view and just, yeah, having moments of fresh air and blue skies. And uh, yeah, it feels like another world. I think that's such an awesome thing to do, to embrace a nomadic lifestyle when everyone else feels grounded. It's like finding a freedom that people didn't know existed or forgot existed. Because, I mean, you wouldn't think of, you know, just moving your life over mid-pandemic. yeah, that's awesome. We got to get on that. We got to leave. Well, it was a plan that we we cooked up in lockdown last year uh, in Singapore. Actually, we were together. We I basically said, like, I think we need to redesign our lives. And so we spent I think like 12 hours hanging out and, you know, discussing what we wanted and how we envisioned our life. And my husband was like, yeah, I, I, I want to explore. I want to, like, just get in a car and drive. And I was like, well, can't do that in Singapore, babe. <laughs> And I want to experience other places before we settle down and have kids. So let's, and we came to the conclusion by the end of this time we had together that, yeah, okay, we're going to do nomadic. And it basically took us 12 months to do it because we had to figure out with his job and then obviously being in a pandemic. And then we just, yeah, figured it out and just made it happen, really. I love that because I think a lot of people and to our listeners, if, if you needed a sign to know that you can leave, like this is it. Like Steph did it. She lifted and changed her life in the middle of something that people couldn't like couldn't phantom the idea of changing right now. And so I think this is awesome. And yeah, girl, like wish you all the best on this nomadic chapter that you're about to embark on. Wait, you said you your first stop is Phuket. So what else is in your lineup? The thing is, uh, one of the major reasons I decided to do this was because I'm such a control freak and it, <laughs> I have very strong neurotic tendencies and I always like to have a plan. And this is, especially in the current climate that we're living through, there is no possibility to really have a plan. And so I'm doing this as much of a personal growth <laughs> challenge as a, a lifestyle with my husband and, and having the adventure, obviously. So right now, Bangkok, we're allowed to stay in Thailand for 90 days. So our visa will be until then. And then we will figure out where we're going next. So we may be back to Singapore for a little bit and then hopefully to Europe for the Conscious Festival that we're planning in Paris in September. But again, it's, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the world. And so I have to learn to be flexible, which is very challenging for me. That's so exciting, though. That's it. Yeah, that is a challenge. But Super I think, exciting. Yeah. yeah. Embrace it. Run with it. You know, exactly. growth, growing pains. That's my theme of the year. <laughs> <Yes>. Growing pains. <laughs> is it? That's a great theme. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's basically my principle of 
like moves in the right direction aren't exactly always going to be seamless. So you may as well just ride with it and be like, ah, okay, we can handle this. It's a good mentality. Mm. Okay, I want to touch on green is the new black. How are how is the company and I guess the platform going to cope with this change? What does it mean for everything that you've built and started in Singapore? I mean, green is the new black is the I guess the um, front runner for sustainability in Singapore. Yeah, and it's like the conscious festival. Absolutely. The green resource for news, just marketplaces, new business ideas. Yeah. Like it's a research center almost. Yeah, it With is. a festival it attached. It's a research center. <laughs> so, so what's the next I love that. Step? It's never been described like that before. <laughs> right now, we can't do events, right? Like uh, during the pandemic, during the lockdown in Singapore last year, we had to cancel three festivals, Hong Kong, Singapore, and London, all canceled. And we basically said to the team, Should we try to do virtual? And we basically, within, I think it was eight weeks, turned around and did our very first virtual conscious festival online. We had like 1,300 people register and join us from around the world, like over 25 different countries or something crazy. And so that, and and I always thought I had to be drilled to the desk and with the team in an office to be able to make the company function. But during lockdown and during this this last 12 months that we've lived through, I don't need that. I just need a good internet connection on my laptop. And so we are now planning a physical event in Paris, uh, which we're doing hybrid. So we're still doing a virtual component, you know, all of our writers, they're all over the place. You know, we have writers in London, in Hong Kong, in Singapore. So whether I'm in, like, as long as I'm kind of in the Asian time zone, uh, I'm fine to keep doing Green is New Black like this. And when the world allows us to do our festivals with 5,000 people again, I don't imagine Singapore is going to let that happen anytime soon. But when it does, then, you know, we'll see where we're at and, and what happens. But this comes back to this idea of flexibility and I guess, a modern day way of working post-pandemic. Yeah, I mean, way to adapt to circumstances. And I think the amazing thing is like the fact that you launched a virtual festival and you had this international attendance. It kind of goes to show how, you know, eco-consciousness is really at the forefront of everyone's minds. Like it's it's not something anyone's ignored, especially I think if I cast my mind, like my memory back to the beginning of the pandemic and suddenly when lockdowns were taking place around the world and then suddenly nature started to regrow in the weirdest of places, it really drilled home the idea that it's really us standing in our own way of progress. So like, what are the things that you kind of, what are the key missions that you started to focus on since that's been made apparent to everybody? Mm. Yeah, it's a really big question. I guess last year was really interesting for me because I actually got a little bit jaded, if I'm very honest, with the entire sustainability scene and also just a bit disappointed at the lack of people waking up. Sure. Uh, even though, and to, to make the connection, because really what we've experienced with COVID is a a very small taste of what's going to happen when clim- when the true effects of climate change really hit us from around the world. And this is such a golden opportunity for more people to wake up, to take those threats seriously and to start really working on adaptation and really working on drawdowns so that, you know, we maintain the 1.5 degree warming because once we get past that, it's a super scary future that we're looking at. And so I think with the uncertainty of the world and the pandemic, I did get a little bit off tilter last year with everything. Uh, but I have now seen found hope again and I think 
there is a lot of possibility. There have been a, a, more people that are waking up and understanding this and wanting to do more. Businesses are now talking a lot about ESG, which is, you know, environmental, social uh, and governance and everything with, you know, the SDGs from the UN. Um, so I think there is a lot of stuff shifting finally. And it'll be interesting to see what comes out of the next few years. But we do have a very short timeline where we do have the ability to turn things around before we are really going to face climate catastrophe. And that is the doomsday side of it. But there is a lot of positivity and a lot of power in the collective and power in individuals and for all of us to play a part in you know, co-creating a better future for us and for the planet. And I think a big part of that is is healing ourselves to heal the planet as well. Absolutely. And we can dive more into that. If yeah. That's I mean, you guys want to talk one about. of the things that I definitely woke up to when we were in Circuit Breaker was my the amount of my personal trash, like me as an individual, because I think a lot of us were in and out of the houses. We're eating lunch and dinner out. We're, we're not really faced with our pile. But that was one of the things that was made so clear to me. I mean, above a million other like, I guess, breakthroughs and like sitting alone and holding myself accountable for my own shit. <laughs> but this new like that my perspective also like was waking up to, yeah, my my responsibility in like sustainability. And, and, and I started to feel guilty as I think a lot. I think that term does come up a lot when we do talk about the planet, because how can it not? Right. It's our yeah. home. And mm. and I think we have that association when with ourselves, when we when we know we're not really doing enough. But before we go down like the guilt route, which I do think, yeah, you're right. If we haven't felt Eco -anxiety it, eco-anxiety is massive. Yeah. Yeah. Like if we haven't felt it, then I think it's just a matter of time. You know, you have to read the right article or there has to be the right trigger point. I think it differs for everybody. But I wanted to go back to what you were saying. You said you got jaded, but then you said you rediscovered, you know, your, your hope for it again. Like what was that? What was that moment? Like, what was the thing that made you think, nope, we pick up, we keep going, we try again? I think going slower and zooming out and actually removing myself from some of the loops that I found myself in. And a big part of that was actually Instagram. <laughs> so removing myself a little bit from the Instagram uh I guess the, the sucking of, of the attention and going down spirals and seeing the polarization online and to zoom out a little bit from that and be like, oh, actually, I don't need to engage in that side of it because it can be very toxic and it can be quite verbally violent and you can get very confused. And I think that was quite hard, you know, spending more time on the phone, just being in lockdown and everything. Yeah. And so there was that side of it. But then there was also the side of seeing actual collective change happening for example, the pay up campaign, which uh, we wanted to talk about anyway. Yeah. But Tell us actually about seeing, it. Educate us. Yeah. Yeah. So this was one of the things that I think was really gave me inspiration again to be like, OK, we can actually shift change. And there is power in the collective when we do when everyone does their little part and there is power in numbers. So the pay up campaign basically last year, it was a tough year for everyone, obviously. But when lockdown started happening around the world, obviously people were no longer shopping. People were no longer consuming the degree of fast fashion that they were consuming. And so big brands around the world were closing stores, but they were also canceling their orders with garment factories and garment workers around, you know, especially in largely in the global south, right? So we're talking about like Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, these kind of places. Uh, where there's a huge garment industry and where the, the country's 
really do rely very heavily on the garment industry. And they were canceling all these orders, but they'd already been made a lot of the time. And so then garment workers were getting let go and fired. And these guys live on like less than a dollar a day a lot of the time. They are living paycheck to paycheck. And now all of a sudden they're all out of work. And it was this horrible realization. And there was a couple of people that came together and said, no, this is Remake was one of the organizations and, and clean clothes. Uh, and they were like, no, this is ridiculous. And so they started with a very simple hashtag called pay up. And that went viral on social media. People started sharing it. And about eight, nine months later, uh, it was just announced in the last couple of weeks that actually some brands have come out and they're going to repay and they're going to pay. So $15 billion uh, was actually paid back to garment workers because of this collective movement of holding brands accountable, of making them pay for what was owed and for protecting the people who are along the supply chain and who are, you know, the ones that are really suffering at the very beginning of it. And so for me, I was like, okay, that's amazing that collectively that pressure that consumers were able to put on brands. And we're talking about brands like Levi's, Gap, uh, Zara, where a couple of them, Ralph Lauren, H&M, all of these kind of brands. There's still a huge chunk that is missing. So I think the one of the stats was around $40 billion was canceled. Oh my God. And so at least we've made $15 billion has got back. And it, it's stuff like that, positive stories like that, that you're like, okay, wow, yeah, people can band together and can make a difference. Yeah, I think I think that's got to be a huge testament to the fact that there still is power in the individual because I feel like when it comes to environmentalism, the main sense that everybody gets, doesn't matter what level of eco-anxiety you have, everyone has that sense of powerlessness, right? Like, why bother to do anything if my individual action's not going to spur any significant change? And here's like a clear-cut example that, collective action does work but it does require everyone doing their fractional bit whether it's a share whether it's a brand boycott it doesn't really matter like it does it, make it waves it does make a difference and i love that term that you put to it the at home activist cuz we're all exactly. we're all still at home <laughs> that's definitely still us yeah but the other side that i think is really interesting about this pay up campaign is the fact that i don't think People are necessarily as aware as we need to be about the fact that environmentalism isn't just tied to like protecting our rainforests and making sure that the planet doesn't get warmer and our ice caps stop melting. It's actually about, you know, impoverished communities in underdeveloped countries who don't have like the economy isn't designed to sustain them and they require the least of all of us. So it's like doesn't matter which way you spin it, environmentalism bleeds into, like you said earlier, like ESG, social and governance. It's just, it's just a shit show overall. Like it bleeds into everything. And we're not, frankly, doing a very good job. So the term that you introduced me to recently, Steph, was intersectional environmentalism. Could you explain to us exactly what that means? Yeah, absolutely. So the term intersectionality was first coined by a professor called Kimberly Kershaw, and she was a scholar and a civil rights activist. And she basically brought and this was in the 80s. And she talked about this for black women and how basically there they have a lot of social pressures and also a lot of um, oppression and basically don't have the same access to a lot of things that other people do in society. And so she termed this this 
intersectionality. And then it became part of intersectional feminism. And recently, it was last year that the coin was termed intersectional environmentalist by Leah Thomas and a few of her friends. And they started an account and they talked about the fact that when we talk about environmentalism, we need to be looking at how this is inclusive for not only the protection of the planet, but also the protection of people. So it's really looking at a more holistic view and how everything is deeply intersected and deeply interconnected around like across all of these different issues. And when we help people who are the marginalized people that we've just been talking about with the pay up campaign, you know, the garment workers, or when we're helping uh, communities that are suffering because of the effects of detrimental and toxic, you know, living near waste uh, uh, or factories, you know, they've got air pollution, they've got bad water, all these kind of things. If we help to protect those people by keeping those companies into account, that's also having a good effect on the planet. So there's so many of the environmental pollution that is also affecting people. And so we need to look at this with a much wider lens and see how it's all connected. And that's really what this term is in a very simple, as easy as I can explain it in a nutshell. I remember like maybe just a few years ago, I'd say it was pretty recent. Maybe you remember it too, but it was this viral post um, of people from factory workers, garment companies that would stitch in like help messages into the clothes. Do you ever see this? Yeah. So mm. there, I think it was some of these fast fashion brands. I'm pretty sure one of them was Zara or Topshop. I mean, definitely. They do not have a good reputation in no, all this. Yeah. But basically in the, like the, the laundry tag, Someone had written, like, I work at this factory. They do not pay us amount. They treat us. And I, I mean, obviously, I don't remember the, the words, but they, they stitched it into the clothes. And it was a direct message, human to human, human from the front line of how this garment was made to the consumer. It was a cry for help to be like, wake up. But before that, before that really went viral, and it went viral because it had shock factor, because if you don't see the faces, if you don't see the hands of where your clothes are coming from, you're not going to wonder about it. But I think with all the waking up a lot of us are doing in these really critical times, exactly what you said, this holistic approach of the bigger picture, like who, who held this material before it came to me and how were they doing? I think it's just like in my hopes, like a very human like really empathetic approach to just something like clothes, which we've lost touch with completely. Mm. Exactly. And this is the thing that we don't understand the provenance of things, but this is not just with clothes. I mean, this is with everything. Like how often do you think about really, like how often do you think about where your foods come from? Even just like, you know, we're eating three times a day, you go to the supermarket, maybe you're ordering on Red Mart, you're going to the restaurant, you're not sitting there being like, wow, I wonder where that piece of uh, lettuce came from. And I wonder where that chicken really came from. And like, how many people have touched this along the way and how it was actually made. And it's the same with clothing. And I think the more that we have those kind of stories, the more that we actually start to think about where stuff's coming from, who's impacted along the way and start factoring in, and this is a big thing, factoring in the environment environmental and social impact into the pricing of things, 
it's it's going to be I mean I hope we see it th- that happening soon but I think that's going to that's a big systemic change yeah I remember as well during the pandemic um this uh, fast fashion British brand which I forgot the name of her oh name. I know it was either um misguided or it was I think it was misguided but yeah. they were selling things for like five pence yeah like 50 pence five yeah pence. they were selling like whole pieces of clothing and people were obviously going like they went crazy for it and but the on the other side like you know people were pissed and they were full-on attacking the owners of the company being like like you doing this right here is the pinnacle of everything that's wrong with fast fashion and what you guys promote because really I mean to be fair and I I don't want to I'm gonna out myself like when I was younger I, and I saw a shirt that was super cheap. I would not think twice and be like, bargain. Like, yeah. <laughs> this Sales. fashion this forever 21. Yeah. Like, I totally was part of the problem, you know? And I can admit that. Yeah, me too. But now, what, now it's almost like we're getting at the age of so much information. It's kind of like... we. You really have to stick your head in a hole to not be aware of this on some level. Yeah. But I think what's interesting is how you were talking about, like, embedding these social and environmental considerations into the price of things which is very much like a top-down thing we require organizations and institutions and corporations and i guess governments too to really take Mm. action and take initiative so then it comes back to the question of like how can we apply pressure as consumers to make that happen because i think it's completely right that when we talk about you know the people who make our clothes or the people who harvest our food or even where our meat comes from it's the fact that it comes to us in pristine packaging or it's dropped at our door. Like we're so far removed from the impact we're creating that of course a lot of us are just going to feel numb to its effects and the fact that we are very responsible for these things. But just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. So like how can we exactly motivate people on that front to actually feel that sense of responsibility and then how do we take that sense of responsibility and get people to prompt change from the bottom from the top down yeah, as well as the bottom home activism like how do we light that mm-hmm. fire greater It's it's such a loaded question and such a great question and I think you can't unfortunately rush someone's awakening as much as we try. The only thing we can do in that sense is to use, like, be the example that you wish to set for your sphere of influence and really push. And of course, you can challenge some people in your lives. And of course, you can do everything. But at the same time, it is an inward out journey. So firstly, for those listening that are, you know, wanting to wake up or wanting, the best thing you can do is educate yourself. There are so many great document documentaries. There's so many amazing accounts. You can go to greenisnewblack.com and there's so many resources there of like how to navigate through and find what you're passionate about. But in terms of activating other people, we need to just share stuff. We need to share. We need to do our at-home activism to start, you know, helping others around us to, to be able to get access to that information. We need to call out stuff and have the challenging conversations. And this is super relevant for, for everything we've been talking about and the intersectional piece as well, because it's so, especially with everything that's happened in the last year, like the Black Lives Matter movement and being an anti-racist ally, like all of that is also, it's the same thing as being an environmentalist. You know, it comes down to having difficult conversations when stuff that's problematic comes up in your life and doing that in a way that is also gracious and understanding for those who are on a slightly different 
different journey to you. So I think that's the more, you know, uh, I guess, softer side of things. But in terms of real actions that we can do, we have to remember that our governments and our MPs, for the most part, are working for us. We pay taxes and we are actually, they are technically employed by the people, for the people. And so in your local constituency, in your local, you know, neighborhoods and environments, you can actually go and say to your MPs or to whatever um, the local members of parliament are, hey, I care about sustainability. What are you doing? What is your stance on this? Can Are you interested in these things? And you can literally reach out to them and as more and more people do that, like they have to listen because they work for their their areas. They work for their constituencies. So again, this is where the collective power comes in because the more people that do it, the more they have to listen, the more than they have to bring it up at a certain point like in their, you know, in the government and be like, okay, so my people care about this. And so that's where it's a slow game, but it is a numbers game. And I think that's a really important thing that we can also do to at least get the government side. And then on the brand side, it's the same thing. Email the brands, call them out on social media if that's what you want to do when they are being problematic uh, or when they, you know, if they haven't paid up for their things. You know, you, you have power, so much power with the keyboard, with your, yes, with your dollar and votes, but we need to be doing more than that now. Now we need to be moving past conscious consumerism to more like actual actions that are going to help as part of a bigger collective to shift the systemic issues that we're facing. So those are a few suggestions. I mean, those are really clear cut suggestions. If anyone's listening, get on it, start calling brands, emailing them. I think that's the one thing that people don't realize. It's literally as easy as emailing somebody. And then the other thing I want to... Or messaging them on socials. Yeah. But the other thing I want to touch on with all that is I think it's, I think it's brilliant, but then the other danger we face is, you know, performative activism. Well, I think it's all great and good to share. I think spreading awareness is always going to yield some imbe- some benefit because you're going to land some impressions. But then it's the the danger is that someone shares a post or retweets or you know recommends a link and then they think, "Right, that's me done. Like I finished my task." No. And it's not and it kind of <laughs> it kind of dilutes that sense of personal responsibility and that becomes sofa activism rather than at-home activism. It's like the laziest form of action, I think. Yeah. And so it's like, how do we get people to go one step beyond that to like care that little bit harder? I think think Steph said it earlier in like the circle of influence that we have in our direct communities. I think like... applying peer pressure. It's the ones, it's the people around you that you know i don't okay so maybe not call out for your friend but point Eh, out call them out point out to your (laughs) friends you know like lead by example be the ones like i i have well you know yumika yumi yeah she's a pico bag she's a great example of someone who and she's done it to me she's like politely pointed out to me a way that i wasn't being like eco-friendly enough and i and i and i appreciate that yeah. I really appreciate mm. that, you know, and I think and I also think this this conversation of influence, like I have this whole opinion about the term influence because I feel like it's just been so like dismorphed into a very um, curated idea. But true influence, right, is like that ripple effect that we have on the immediate people around us and like living in our like embodying what we believe and be influential like that. And I think people need to remember that if you apply that meaning, the real meaning of influence to you, you are influential. 
Like you don't need this tech to tell you you are. You already are. So yeah, like what Steph is saying, definitely. And also guys, if if you're like nodding your head to this episode and you're like feeling geared up and empowered, all the details to access Steph and, and to learn more about this is on Green is the New Black. They really are a research center for just helping people incorporate a more green lifestyle. But also you have the power. You are your you are the influence. Damn, dude. Put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's just remembering that sustainability and activism and all of these things, it is a journey. And I think it's okay to not be a perfect environmentalist. And I think that is a cop-out that a lot of people use to be like, oh, but I can't do it perfectly or I'm just one person. And it's like, we need to move beyond that dialogue at this stage. You know, it, it's not good enough anymore. It's 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 weak. <laughs> Yeah, because I can sure. be like blunt on that point. I think everyone can do a little bit. Everyone can do something. You just figure out what is it, what is something that annoys you? You know, do you care about plastic in the oceans? Do you care about the amount of waste that you're creating? Do you want to make sure that the people along the supply chain of the clothes you're buying are being paired fadely? Like there's so many places to start. You just need to pick something that matters to you and just educate yourself, but see it as an exciting journey. You're not sacrificing stuff. You're not giving up stuff. You are empowering yourself with knowledge. You are using using your dollars and your time as, as a much better resource and actually having those ripple effects in your life. And so I think it needs to be reframed as not something scary and negative and that you have to sacrifice for. Absolutely not. This is empowering. It's exciting. And you're literally being part of the change. And you know, I guess for me, part of what always keeps me going is thinking about my kids or my grandkids turning around to me and being like, but you knew. Like, you knew what was going on. Why didn't you do more? And that's like this thing that haunts me at the back of my head. <laughs> and maybe that also resonates with some people. But I'm like, okay, I got to do as much as I can without killing myself. Because rest is also a form of resistance that we need to be kind to ourselves. Yeah, I think Greta Thunberg's, like Greta Thunberg was like the number one example of turning around to adults and being like, what the hell did you guys do knowing what you knew? And so the fact that our kids are going to be a thousand times louder than that. So. <laughs> oh my god i i've said this before and i will say this a million times but my karma is my children like a hundred percent my Your karma is my teenage daughter man like that little devil when she comes out and i already love you sweetie but when you do you whew, i will just know on a deeper level like i deserve that <laughs> but i think the last thing you touched on where you said you know to do as much as you can without killing yourself and then you referred to something earlier at the beginning of this episode where you were saying that you need to make sure that you kind of you've recovered before you're able to help recover the planet and I think that mental strength is something that people often overlook because when we're bombarded with all this information about you know like Cowspiracy, Seaspiracy, two incredibly moving documentaries but they're very alarmist in their tone and it is emotionally draining when you see it so it's getting people to a point of being like right you now know what you know give yourself a moment recoup and then get moving it's we can't ignore the mental health aspect to all this that it is draining and it's it's sad like it's it's heavy going and we have to embrace the emotional toll it's going to take on us as well as the environmental and physical yeah. I mean, eco-anxiety and burnout in the activism space or even in the 
general population is growing and it is a really big thing. And, you know, this is why when we started Green is New Black or when I started it six years ago now, it was always about conscious living because for me, it is an inward out job. We have to look at what our decisions, our impact, our thoughts, the impact that has on ourselves, but also our surroundings and the environment. It's it's deeply connected. And when we allow ourselves to burn out or we get too, as you said, too sucked into the, uh, you know, the, the negative aspects of this, it can really take a toll on people. And so you can't give from an empty cup. So we need to do the self-healing and the hard work as well to heal ourselves while also then being able to give more and heal more for the planet and for the people in our lives and and other things that we're passionate about but it is a fine balance and I think I'm still learning the balance six years in you know I burn out and I still have to take a break and go slower and do the work uh, to then be able to come back and do more and that's okay it's okay I also really want to talk about your podcast because you're taking conversations further by well recording them (laughs) so live wide awake Tell us the story behind it and how it's going so far. Episode 10, right? No, I'm at episode 22, I think. Now. Oh, oh, wow. wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, You're I started zooming through. I wanted to do a podcast for a long time, actually. And it was during I went to Australia last year. I was very lucky that I could get on a flight um, and do quarantine in Australia. I'd had a little bit of an emotional breakdown, actually. Um, and I had to get out of Singapore because I was going a bit insane. So that's a whole nother mental health story. But luckily, my husband was like, okay, we need to get you out of here and you need to go and just be with your family. Otherwise, you're not going to survive. And so we got me on a flight. And during that quarantine, I had a, a call with a girlfriend on like my second or third day. And she was like, okay, so what are you going to do in quarantine? I'm like, I'm going to launch my podcast. And she was like, well, you've said it now. I'm going to keep you accountable to this. And I said, yeah, please do. And so basically during that time, I decided to finally launch it. And uh, yeah, for me, I, I'm so deeply passionate about consciousness, about raising consciousness, about spirituality. That word has a lot of connotations uh, to it, but I'm so fascinated about exploring the modern day version of that, of like, you know, women our age, how they're bringing that into their lives, but also deeply passionate about sustainability in the planet. And so for me, my podcast is a little space I get to play in where I can intersect conscious consciousness, spirituality, sustainability, climate change, and yeah, just have the conversations I want to have, interview fascinating and incredible people, but also have real talk, you know, about their struggles, about dealing with burnout, about all of the stuff that we've kind of talked about today as well, you know, and just yeah creating a space to to learn and and to do that and um yeah I'm excited and it, it's the funnest part of my week that's for sure podcasts are so podcasts are fun great. they're so fun and right. also it's like a flat-out excuse to just like talk to someone that you find really cool but you're like how do I like yeah give me let, let me make a reason for us to hang out and then you just be like hey want to be a guest in my podcast and then it happens <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the number of times we've just <laughs> blind DM'd people being like, hey, you look cool. Let's chat. <laughs> and then they pop up. Like, it's just, it's a great way to, it's a great way to just find the right messages you want to put out and like sharing ideas. And I think podcasts are basically a great excuse to find people who sort of come from a common creed or have like a similar or even more different outlook to your own. But it's the fact that I guess when it comes to environmental consciousness and, you know, 
defining your own spirituality and all these things it's that feeling that you're not alone in this fight you know and the fact that there are other people who are doing the work and there is a greater momentum and you're not the only one working on it like do you find there's a bit of comfort in that yeah absolutely like for me as well it's I just really enjoy hearing about what people learn you know what what they're learning and how they're overcoming adversity and struggles in their life because it normalizes the fact that it is the human experience is tough it's it's not a straight line it's painful and raw and that's part of the beauty of it and so yeah I I love the fact that I'm able to get deep with people on those topics because it's a struggle I think being human and but then when you realize you're not alone it it makes it easier I think to keep going especially when when it's hard sometimes and especially with like activism work and everything takes its toll well girl you have two big ass fans sitting over here Hey, you know, this is a really, this is really cute, but um, uh, I don't know, Steph, if you remember, but Steph and I have known each other since I was like a teenager. Like I was young when I first, like 19, I was I young 19 when I when first I met, met Steph and um, we've always kind of like, cause Singapore is so small. So like network wise, we've always kind of been like at an arm's length or two from each other, but I've have so much love and admiration for you. And I always remember this one time we were at a festival and we were like, I'm just here. I'm just like your little sideline cheerleader. I want you to know that. And I feel like that hasn't shifted. And so the work that you're doing and the rest uh, of your chapters and your your new nomadic life, go forth, girl. You're going to kill it. Yeah, no, I still remember that time as well. And I absolutely loved it. And remember, I've it's the same for me, though. I'm being so proud of watching you grow. I mean, that was before even MTV days. And on that time, you'd even said to me like, yeah, I, re- I think I want to be an MTV VJ or DJ. And I was like, okay, go for it. And being like a big cheerleader of yours on the side and everything that you're doing. So and now this podcast with Marissa, I think it's amazing what you guys are doing. And I love your work. Oh, ah. women raising women. That's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, babe, we are going to let you go off and enjoy your evening. Um to our dear listeners thank you guys so much if you made it all the way to the end of this episode you know the deal all the details of how to reach out to Steph is every and everything is in the show notes like subscribe um, and yeah connect and last but not least happy earth week guys <laughs> turn off your lights and unplug hey. things and just go outside for a bit jeez <laughs> just turn off 4G <laughs> All right. Well, Steph, thank you so much, babe. Thanks for having me. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.